Hello everyone and welcome to the show. I hope you've had a wonderful week. I hope you enjoyed last week's interview with Baroness Hale, Lady Hale. I thought she was a phenomenal woman, a phenomenal legal mind, and I learned so much from her. I do encourage you to listen to her book, her audible version of the book that she wrote, Spider Woman, um, because she reads it herself. And and it's just a, a really interesting life that she's led through so many changes in British history and everything that she has changed within British history as well. Now, my links this week, they are between Brazil and Luxembourg, and we also have a, a Ukrainian and an Italian Luxembourgish man in the room who, it turns out, also has Brazilian roots because, as always on this show, everybody links to everybody, no matter how odd the connections, they're always there. But first of all, let me introduce Dr. Dominique Santana and Naja Lirio, who has come from Brazil, and Dominique is Luxembourgish Brazilian. And also in the studio, you may know him from the morning show, I've got Emanuele Santi, and uh, this is going to be about the charity Riding the Rainbow, and Lena and in your, Lena is Ukrainian and uh, has been a recipient of the bicycles. So welcome to you all. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm going to start with uh, a little introduction of Naja Lirio. Uh, you're a musician, a producer and president director of the public foundation Casa de Cultura Foundation in charge of culture, tourism and heritage in João Montelevade. Montelevade, yes. Okay, <laughs> thank you again. Yeah, João Montelevade, a city in Minas Gerais yes. in Brazil. And you coordinate all of the diplomatic relations between the city and Esch sur Alzette. And we'll come to why in just a moment. You've collaborated with Dominique here in the studio on several projects, including the creation of pedagogical dossier guiding teachers on how to use transmedia media as a tool for learning, in fact, and heritage education. Dominique, uh, I've met you before through the FNR Awards and your wonderful work. You were the recipient of uh, an award there uh, just this year. In fact, you're Luxembourg Brazilian, a screenwriter, director and transmedia storyteller based in Luxembourg. As a creative filmmaker and public historian, you specialise in digital media and immersive storytelling. You've inventively bridged this gap between creative worlds of filmmaking and the transmedia world, historical narratives. And through all of this, your most recent transmedia documentary project, A Colonia Luxemburguesa, Thank you. (laughs) Which is also your PhD project, has really brought to life that connection between Brazil and Luxembourg. This has been selected for international festivals, such as the Sheffield Documentary Festival and Sunnyside of the Dock. And you have a PhD in history from the University of Luxembourg Centre for Contemporary and Digital History, C2DH, specialised in transmedia, storytelling and digital public history. So it's really an honour to have you in the studio, Dominique. Thank you very much, Lisa. It's an honour to be here. Well... This all started with you finding the link between Luxembourg and Brazil. So we have to tell our listeners what this link is. <laughs> yeah, I will try to keep it short because it's a long story. It's a long trajectory, which started in 2020, uh, 2014, mm-hmm. um, when, I started, uh, when I started exploring my Brazilian roots after my master's in, in Berlin. Um, and uh, when I arrived in Brazil, um, I discovered that I was not the only one. Uh, arriving from Luxembourg to Brazil um, as a historian with Brazilian background, 
born and raised in the industrial south of Luxembourg. It was quite a shock <laughs> to discover it that way. And um, for international listeners, the industrial south of Luxembourg was where we had the steel industry. Exactly. So the steel industry uh, was actually the linking element between uh, Luxembourg and Brazil uh, throughout the 20th century. And um, that's also why so many... Um, Luxembourgish uh, engineers, technicians, entire families uh, were uh, transferred to Brazil, um, more specifically to the southeast of Brazil. And when would this um, have been? That started in uh, the early 20th century, uh, in the 1920s. Um, first in, um, in Belo Horizonte, um, the capital of Minas Gerais, Sabará, and then in João Molevange. Actually, João Molevange was a city, uh, was first of all, it was um, a private property of the Brazilian subsidiary of uh, Arbit, now ArcelorMittal, and it's only in, 2000, in 1964 um, that the city uh, became, like that this region became a, a city, a municipality. And so I, when I arrived in Brazil, I discovered this story and I was so surprised um, and so um, Because you happened upon it by accident. By accident, yes. And then, um, yeah, this discovery brought me back to Luxembourg to start my PhD. Um, and uh, all the, the connections that I'd made uh, when I went there, when I visited this industrial region, which incredib looked incredibly like... Luxembourg with palm trees, a tropical version of a tropical version, a of tropical Luxembourg. version of Esch, a tropical version of Differdange, of Dudelange. Uh, really <laughs> impressive. You have to see that in person. I've seen the photos. Yeah, so it's really impressive, and and all the people I met. Um, also, I guess the 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 fact that I speak Portuguese also helps to connect with the local communities. And then, yeah, I decided to embrace this. Um, this new mission and it became my vocation to tell that story to, to Luxembourg, to Brazil, to the world. And through this, this project. wonderful project that became a PhD, you have a website that anybody can go on. We'll link to it in the in the article, of course. Thank you. And people can watch the videos that you've made with people still alive from this time who grew up on one side or the other and the connections are still there but they lived through a time most of their lives where this media was not available to them so they completely lost that connection to either Luxembourg or Brazil whichever way around they were sitting. Yes, exactly. Actually, uh, it's um, it's incredible. Um, to, it was incredible for me to see uh, in Molevad, um, in Jean Molevad, that uh, people were going to schools uh, named after Luxembourgish people, um, <laughs> playing football uh, on, on uh, Stadium Louis Ench and, and so on, and they didn't know where where this, these names came from, and so because the memory was was not. Not present in the not part in, of their history, yeah. and so you brought all that back. Exactly. So it was, yeah, it was quite impressive to see what it made to um, to people when once they discovered it. So Nigel, tell me about <laughs> how you first met Dominique and where. I mean, did you know about this connection with Luxembourg before Dominique? No, I didn't. Actually, it was one week before the, the launching of the movie in Minas Gerais uh, that I've known, that I've got to know that, that there was a movie talking about a colonia luxemburguesa and it was all very confusing to us because we didn't know the, about the connection. And uh, uh, at first I, I thought it was something quite exaggerated uh, and I was kind of, um, I didn't know what to 
to think about it. But then the mayor called me in his office and he told me, oh, we are going to, to watch the, the launching of the movie and then we're going to um, uh, party to celebrate. And, of course, uh, it's Brazil. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not actually a party. It's like um, it was a celebration of the Lasso Kios. Yes, and, uh, yes. <laughs> but we had a... a um, and he told me that I should go. So I prepared myself to go. And when I went there and I saw the movie, I cried a lot. Because it was... Um, it's not only about the connection with Luxembourg, but it's also about recovering the importance of our city uh, in the context of in industrialization in Minas Gerais. And all the, our history was like um, a part of it that was completely lost. And uh, it's also very important for people to understand that Jomon Levadi was fundamental when, it, when we think about this process in Minas Gerais, yes? Because Minas Gerais was a very rural area before the, the 20th century. And then we had a, a huge um, advance during the first part of the, the, the 20th century. And Jomo Levadi was really important in this process, you know? So we, we recovered not only a, a part of our connection with some place in the other side of the world <laughs> and uh, part of our culture because we have lots of things that are connected. Like, for example, not only the name of the streets, but some recipes of Luxembourgish food. Or You have some, Luxembourgish food there? Uh, actually, some, some part of it, for Can example. The first Kielschelchen. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes, because it's a recipe that... Uh, just stayed in, in a place uh, we call the Fazenda Solar. It's the old place where uh, the people, um, the important people from the company used to meet and the, the politicians and authorities and everything. Where the Grand Duke even had his uh, honeymoon. <laughs> yes, the Grand Duke from Luxembourg. He went there to spend his honeymoon. Yeah, some days of his honeymoon he spent there. Wow. So it's, a, it's an old uh, farm with a big house, a very beautiful house. And uh, this, the recipes are still there. And lots of people do it in Jomolevaji without even knowing the name or that it's Luxembourgish. We, don't, we didn't know, you know? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's really nice. It, was, it moved me and I, and I talked to her and I said, oh my goodness, you gave me back part of my history. And I hugged her. And since then we became friends. And we collaborated a lot. Yeah, and I want to talk about why it means so much when a person learns. You, uh, Dominique, you come from a historical perspective, researching that part. And Naja, you come from the cultural part and retaining heritage and developing heritage. Why does that matter to people? Um, I really believe that um, history um, belongs to all of us. And uh, it's, a, it's a process. It's an ongoing process. It's a negotiation uh, between different people, between what we what we perceive now and and our perception to the past, and um, and that's why it needs to to belong. It needs to be a public discussion. It needs to be uh, discussed among among those who have lived it, and not just the historians um, on their ivory tower. Uh, defining top-down uh, what happened in the past. I mean, if you want to really bring out the human aspect of history, uh, of what has shaped us, what is part of our identity and the way we see things, the way we perceive, the way we, the way we, we understand the world, we need to understand where we come from. Yeah. And uh, this is a constant dialogue and, uh, 
and sometimes also contradicting. And that's why it needs to be a public discussion and it really empowers um, communities who have never had access to, to this discussion before. And you as a historian doing the research, you're w working with a, a part of history that is close enough to still meet the people and to still have an impact on their lives. So talk to us, uh, Naja, about the impact on the lives of the people <clears throat> in your community. Well, uh, as Dominic said, uh, it's very important uh, to have access to your, your own memory, the, your, the memory of your people, because it brings consciousness uh, about who you are as a people and who you are as a person. And also, it um, can help you um, develop a self-esteem in that consciousness, yeah? So I think that's one of the most important things in, in Jomon Levage is people having access to this importance and this, the history between uh, Luxembourg and Brazil and the, how the city was built because it was a very special uh, situation, context, because in Brazil, at, at the time uh, that Luxembourgish people got to Jomon Levage, it was only a huge space with lots of forests and um, but not a community organizing itself. So uh, the way that city was built is it was completely magical because it was a forced uh, uh, construction in a really short time and people from all over the country, all over the, uh, uh, the surrounding regions and from other countries came to live in the same place, you know, as it was being built. So it became incredibly international very fast. Yes, it was a cosmopolitan place and a, in a very small, you know, uh, community. And it was uh, built really fast. So people were just adapting all the time. And in fact, you have, you were given footage by Arbed ArcelorMittal of the development of this, uh, what became a city. And we saw it, in fact, you can see it on your documentary. Yes, yes. So it was um, this, as you as you said at the beginning, um, this uh, document, transmedia documentary project was part of my PhD research, which means that um, I, I researched for four years uh, intensively on on this topic, and I I spent a few weeks or. I think in total months, uh, in the archives of ArcelorMittal in Brazil, but also in the National Archives here in Luxembourg. And I connected the dots. Um, and at the CNA, of course, uh, the CNA also holds uh, some um, historical films. Um, That's the Centre National Audiovisuel. Yeah. Exactly, it's Centre National Audiovisuel, uh, who is also, by the way, a partner of this project together with Samza Film. And um, so it was, uh, it was incredible to see also that so many... Um, personal archives um, are stored in in a corporation, um, and that also shows the uh, that's also al already documented, like d demonstrating that um, Arbed at that time or Belgomineda, the Brazilian subsidiary, functioned as a municipality mm -hmm. um, because they built all the houses and they built all the um, hospitals, hospitals, churches. schools. Um, um, everyone they built the city they, exactly yes yeah. and they paid for the, the services also so it was everything we have to for example the community had to find they would look for uh, for that with our bed so. so it sounds like it was done positively within the community they came in in a positive nature yeah yeah it, uh, everything has, has 
both sides yeah well of course it's uh, out of necessity as well we have you don't yeah. we should not forget that it's a corporation yes. and um and not a charity organization mm. um so it's it's really um if you if you arrive there um you imagine you've bought um this this huge land with a very uh, rich iron ore um and you want to exploit this you want to 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 develop a steel industry in that region you need workforce <laughs> you need qualified workforce uh, workforce you and cannot that, find it around so you bring it from luxembourg and from germany from belgium and then you need to train uh the farm the the, the farmers in the surround surroundings you need to they need to become workers steel workers and, and that's that when is you also need infrastructure the link also that we have this uh, immigration coming from luxembourg and surrounding regions to brazil mm-hmm. and also the brazilian workforce were trained up there as well so you have this combination and that's how the community came to be and you have wonderful stories from people still living or children of this era talk to us about some of the stories of the of the brazilian people and the luxembourgish people i mean literally these people are are on both sides so tell us about some of the people from the community oh some of the people for example my one of my uncles great uncles uh, is a part of the movie oh, yeah, he's called Yudeu. Uh, and uh, did you know he was part of this no i didn't know that he had um um it's because he was a worker at the at the company also my grandfather so it's the, it's about how the community was built and the relationship between brazilian workers and the luxembourgish ones so that's that's what he talks about yes that uh, the city was uh filled with people from all over the world but most of them was uh, luxembourgish and uh, the relationship they had it was very good so people really liked and had a lot of respect for Louis Ange for example and Louis Ange was some, somebody that lived among people he he used to go visit people and have dinner with them so it was a something general director of, of uh, the general director yes and it was a very close community if you think about it yeah so uh for like a thousand people maybe at the beginning more. or yes more yeah yeah so well, it, it, it's also interesting um this linguistic um reality because they these people um the luxembourgers they spoke luxembourgish but there were also french people um and 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 so of course there was um they were living together but there also there were also different lives of Jean-Malévage, you know. Um I mean there there were different social clubs. You can see it in my film in the fourth fourth chapter. And that's also something Ildeu, your your uncle, uh, talks about that mm-hmm. um the the engineers, the Luxembourgish engineers, they had their 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 fancy uh social club and, and then there was this the the club for the workers. So they had like sort of parallel lives, a bit of what we see also here what we, what we had here in luxembourg as well with the engineers and the steel workers they were not having parties together all the time but in brazil it was there was another lev- another layer added to it language and the culture. language and and origins and so that makes the situation a bit more special mm-hmm. yeah but they all went to the same church for example yes and they had some some activities where they shared spaces yes and uh, they had a very, very nice relation and and late um earlier you asked me about the impact of her work 
uh, in Jomon Levadi. Uh, it completely changed the way we see heritage in Jomon Levadi and we teach it at school. And people recovered the self-esteem about being part of a community that was so important to, to the industrial history of Minas Gerais. So it, or beyond it, Minas Gerais. And beyond Minas Gerais, because it was an international relation. So people at, uh, for example, teachers that... Um, they, they usually taught about the history of Jamo Levadi considering the 19th century and mostly Jamo Levadi was the first guy, French guy, who came to Jamo Levadi and um, he created a forge uh, there. Catalan forge in yes. 1817. Yes, and it was... Ca- the historian has all the dates. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're forged into her brain. Like, yeah. I, I forgotten. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was... Uh, he was the only reference of our history and uh, people talked about him a lot but they forgot about this part of the the development of the city and of our community as it, as it was at the time very cosmopolitan with people from all over the world and uh, the impact Jomolevaji had in Brazil at the time in the international relations everything they, they forgot about it, everything so the teachers feel now very empowered to talk about it with their students we have some projects for example Story Cafe created by Dominique that's an opportunity that different generations of people from Jomolevaji meet and to talk about the uh, the history, heritage and everything that happened in João Molevaggi. And that brings different generations together as well. Just the very fact that they can, they have a space to come and meet and talk. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's also very beneficial for their mental health. Of course. <laughs> and they, they, feel, they feel important because they are the sources of information, you know. They are the living history. Yes, they are the living history. And the new generations also feel like amazed by by all the, the stories they tell, yes? But not just there. I've seen these phone booths that you set up, Dominique, where yes, you have conversations place. between, um, the you know, the Brazilians and the Luxembourgish people connecting across the waters. Yes, that's, that's uh, yeah, I, I really wanted, so I have this digital platform, colonia.lu, the, the documentary is freely available. Everyone can access, have access to it. That was very important to me. Uh, but I also wanted to have this physical presence in the in the public sphere, literally. Um, that's why we built uh, in the fr- in the context of H22, um, cap- cultural capital of Europe. We built uh, two lasso kiosks. They are twins, actually. <laughs> these two lasso kiosks. They're made of steel, and they are, as you say, uh, connected uh, via fa- FaceTime. It's the uh, the. Um, Brazilian uh, phone cabin called Aurelian. You can see it everywhere in Brazil. Um, it's like the, the red one in, in London, for example. Yeah. And so we, we upcycled this, um, um, this, this cabin and then we, uh, we set up a, a FaceTime communi- a daily communication tool. And it was even inaugurated by the Grand Duke himself uh, last year in March. Um, and uh, it was really, really great to see Uh, because in, in Belval, in, in Esch, so there was one uh, set up in Esch uh, at the Place l'Académie in Belval and one in Jean Molevange at um, uh, Praça do Povo, the public sphere, the uh, public square. And um, so uh, sometimes it was even possible to, to speak in the same language because we have so many Portuguese, Portuguese speaking. Uh, speaking people here. And also for the Brazilians who, because there are some Brazilians living in Luxembourg, They were so amazed by this incredible story. And they were like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that there was a Brazil-Luxembourg connection. 
And uh, yeah, because they they, they beyond just, their own connection. Because yeah, they just <laughs> because they saw the Brazilian flag and they thought, oh, that's a Brazilian thing. I will go have a look. And then they were like, okay, what? Luxembourgish engineers went there. And um, and yeah, it was really some. Uh, we even organized an event with ArcelorMittal where workers, um, so engineers and steelworkers from Jean Molevange who are currently working here, uh, because there are some now you you have to, uh, this transfer of uh, of techno of. Um, Uh, skilled labor, you have that on both sides. You also have Brazilians coming to Luxembourg to bring their expertise expertise to Luxembourg. So there were uh, situations where, uh, for example, a, a Brazilian family from Jean Molevange, currently living in Luxembourg, uh, was able to uh, talk to their family members living in Molevage through uh, the, um, the FaceTime connection and they and they, tears were <laughs> like, it was very emotional, really. I really can imagine. That. And also, I would like to talk a little bit about the people who came back to Luxembourg, having lived there, because you met them too. Yes. Um, so, yeah, as you say, some people came back. Um, mostly it was because of the women uh, and because of the children, because um, you have to imagine arriving there um, in the 19, let's say in the 1950s or 1940s. Um, of course, you have all that structure um, set up uh, for like with leisure activities. You have the social club, you have the church, you have the restaurants, you have the different uh, families. Uh, they become like the, the different families become like a big family. But you miss home and you don't then when you're when you start having kids, you start wondering what will happen with the education of my kids. They will they um, will they become Brazilians or what will happen to them? And then uh, often they was that was the, the and because it was very boring for many women to, to live <laughs> in Jean Molevage at that time. These um, engineers, they were full of ambitions and, uh, you know, climbing the corporate ladder, becoming more and more important uh, in the company. And for the women, like they were housewives living at home uh, with nothing to do. And uh, the linguistic barrier was difficult. The climate change um, was also a shock for them. And, and so many women didn't adapt. Because they were without life. friends, without uh, yeah, a community yeah. there. And it, in fact, it goes the other way exactly. We've just been speaking for the last 20 minutes about developing that connection, that deep connection through history. And of course, when you move at that time without any FaceTime available, exactly. you literally chop off any connection that you have with your own heritage, which in that case was back here. So, of course, it works both ways round. Yes. So, so they were corresponding via letters and these letters took weeks or months to arrive. Yeah. And they were they were sent to the to the company, to the steel company. Uh, and then they were dispatched uh, among the, the, the houses. And it was, yeah, it was really impressive to... Uh, to recover also some of these letters. Uh, one um, one um, um, daughter, granddaughter of, uh, of an engineer who moved there in the 1950s gave me an entire family archive collection, incredible. Um, and uh, among this, this big collection were, of course, folder albums, but also letters. Mm -hmm. Letters her grandfather wrote to um, her grandmother and to her father, Uh, while they were still living here because the son had to finish um, his um, um, his uh, education, education yeah. secondary school. And for one year and four months, they were writing letters and all these 68 letters were transcribed and uh, transformed. So I transformed these letters into an... Uh, 
um, a, a character, archive. yes, yeah. a character, and and he explains everything in detail, in the most incredible detail, uh, how life was like, what life was like um, in Jomolevaj, and she was asking questions. Of course, she was preparing her big departure, like, like her big move with her son, uh, once he was ready to Jomolevaj. So she was asking questions like, yeah, um, what kind of curtains do we need? And then he said. We have no. We don't need any curtains because we have different types of windows here. Or um, is there a hairdresser? And, and she said, uh, because she was asking, is, is there a hairdresser? And he said, no. But I'm wondering how these women do that to be always so well dressed and, so and the daily uh, life. Yeah. So you know the daily life, and this this is uh, information you will not you will never find in the corporate archives. This is really when you connect to people. When you approach them, when you when you take time to really listen to their stories and to to look at what they share with you, um, it's very enriching also for the heritage. Yeah, it's reminding me of a, a very recent series that uh, the Roman historian Mary Beard in the UK has done on actual lives of Roman people, and she picks five, I think it is, and and with those type that type of historical document, which it's not. We're not talking about too far in history, in your case, but in her case, Romans. You really feel the life of a person. And that's where, as a human being yourself, you kind of connect to their story a little bit yes. more. Because at the end of the day, we, we're all humans yes. in our relatively near history. Um, and then we have the two cities that are now twinned. And in fact, this is maybe why you're here, Naja. Yes. Why are you here in Luxembourg? <laughs> yes, I'm here because um, her work, her movie inspired um, a reconnection. So people from Ash to Dalzetsch and Jomo Levage started reconnecting. And um, here they, they suggested the twinning with the support of Asalomitao and lots of people. And the twinning was like um, unanimous. Everybody voted for it. And so they came to Brazil uh, the first time with a delegation from Ash to Dalzetsch in July 22. And... Um, we prepared a huge festival uh, to receive them, to welcome them, because it's a it's a very important thing for us. As you said, uh, after her movie was released, lots of people uh, went to the city hall to talk to the people, uh, for example, Dan Codelo or people from the heritage department to talk about uh, the history they shared too. So my grandfather lived there in Jomolevage. I have pictures here. So I have a, a, a picture of my great uncle that lived there for 20 years. So we started reconnecting. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first time they went after the, the visits, because we had lots of visits last year. Yeah, that was first, one of the official ones. <laughs> yes. So we started having a relationship. That's very nice. And, and it really um, excites me to have this connection and that grows closer every time we meet, you know? So it started in February 22, yes? Yeah, Luxembourg embassy was there and yes. the entire delegation from Luxembourg uh, was there with us uh, for the release of the film and the launch of the... They're really strengthening ties between yes. the two cities very yes. much. So the first time they, they came to Jean Moulavage, it, it was kind of, we were really, um, we didn't know what to think, you know, how they would react to our, our city, because our city is quite different from Mesh, besides <laughs> having uh, uh, the geographical... Uh, similarities, for example, about uh, Terra Rouge, yes? Terra Rouge, yes. Yeah. Yes, but we also have big differences, for example, about economic, social economic development, yes? Jomo Levage is a city of 81,000 people, but uh, it's actually 
way less developed than Estudos Edge. But we had such a nice reunion. Yes, people were together and talking and discussing things. And they were really welcomed there. And they felt welcomed. And we, start, we started strengthening these bonds after that. So they came back in March, I guess, or May. Uh, in, so there was one delegation in February for the release of my, my documentary. Then there was another one mm. for the anniversary In April, city? yeah, the anniversary of the city in April, and then we had uh, the we uh, showed the movie at the People's Square. The, the yes, open air cinema because there's no there's no no longer a cinema in Jean Monnevangi. There used to be a very very nice one, um, mm -hmm. and uh, but we want we wanted to bring that back. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we we showed the exactly. Yeah. Showed so the you have there. this really really strong connection. I'm I'm smiling to myself because clearly you're not from Luxembourg because you have sunglasses next to the scarf. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, you don't need them today. <laughs> I love the fact that I mean <laughs> no, but we're having such a um, uh, busy time since we've yeah. got here and we sleep. Really little. So sometimes the sunglasses are not for the sun, but just, oh. <laughs> just you okay. know, to distract people from our tired faces because oh. we are in a very busy schedule. Yeah, I can imagine. Yes. You you've been here for uh, over a week now, and I'm yeah, sure every day is very been exciting. Week, huh? Yes, more than a week now. Yes, uh, we had lots <laughs> of activities, reunions, meetings, because we had meetings with Asalomitau. It was very nice to talk about to talk with uh, Michel Wurt. Uh, We had meetings with the city hall itself because we have lots of projects that are, are happening now because of this. We had the twinning itself and we visited lots of cultural institutions because uh, this is one of, of the intentions of ASH, to work a relationship uh, with um, cultural and educational uh, projects, you know, that we will collaborate on. So we had lots and lots of activities and we are kind of... And, and with the university as well. That university Academic. is amazing. And haven't yeah. you been made, you know, free citizen of the city or something like this? Oh yeah, honorary citizen. Honorary yeah. citizen. I'm actually, a honorary citizen of citizen of Jean Moulin. So, yes. yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm well, very, because we had to recognize her. Well, I, of course. I, I, I mean, I'm I keep very honored. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, given the amount of time you spent there in the last uh, few years, well, the work you've done is is truly amazing. And in fact, I know that you're transmedia work doesn't end here. In fact, close to where I am right now, you're doing another project. <laughs> Are we allowed to mention what it is? Yeah, of course. Well, um, it's uh, another incredible story of a Luxembourgish uh, company that had international impact, uh, Radio Luxembourg. So Ta -da! <laughs> <laughs> more to come soon. <laughs> well, you'll have to come and talk about that too. I think we have a few listeners who might be uh, very interested in that. But of course it did. So, so I can see that you, you find stories, you, you literally find stories where it resonates with a, a close history. A, a, it's almost a living history still. It's yes. within the, the minds of people who are still alive. And you foster these relationships that grow and grow and grow. Naja, I hope you get some rest today. Yes, no, but it's been great. So we have <laughs> lots of projects. Then later on, maybe Dominique will come back and talk about the projects. We, we had the time to have meetings with the city of Ash and decide on projects that will bring uh, people from Romolevade to study here mm -hmm. and to make art here, 
to develop sports here in the same way back. Uh, we have been establishing an uh, uh, international festival that will hap happen simultaneously in Estudalzete and João Molevade and lots of other projects, um, cooperation to talk about the um, electricity, not electricity, energy transition to in João Molevade too. So we are actually... So we'll have you back. Yes, <laughs> yes, I'll come back many times. And I hear you're a singer, so you may have to come and uh, show Maybe us some of this. Because in fact, I know that there's um, the Philharmonie put on a, a transatlantic uh, yes. festival. Gilberto Gil was here recently. Yes, you, you might have to come for this as well. <laughs> well, I would love it. Yeah. <laughs> or, bring, or bring artists from Monaco. Yes. There's all Philharmonie. sorts of possibilities. We do have quite a strong and vocal Brazilian community here in Luxembourg. Yes. I'm sure you've met most of them. Yes, at the first day I was here, I, I just bumped to bumped into a, a party of Brazilian people playing samba at a shopping mall. Of course, it has to be a party every time. I've had this word mentioned three yeah. times now, and it hasn't gone past me. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be the place to be if you want to kind of live life well. <laughs> Thank you so much, Naja. Thank, Thank you for you. coming today. You can sit down with your dark glasses on in a corner now. <laughs> Just after thank this you. break, we'll talk to Writing the Rainbow. Dominique, thank you so much for all the work you do. Oh, thank you for having us here. It was an honor. Thank you. The Lisa Burke Show. Next up, we have two guests who are uh, going to talk about Riding the Rainbow. I have Lena Antiuk and Manuela Sante. Lena is from Ukraine originally and has joined the program and shares her, well, I mean, not only enjoyment of the bicycles that you've received, but also the fact that you work in child development so you can talk about why they're so important. Manuela Sante, you are co-founder president of Afrolanthropy, who uh, that's a charity based here in Luxembourg. It incubates social innovations in Africa, but also in 2022, you launched Riding the Rainbow here in Luxembourg, which is a platform now, an app available to create those connections to help local refugees. So I'm going to start with you, Emanuele. Talk to us about how Riding the Rainbow started, the concept, because I know you already have, I mean, it's not your main job, but on top of everything else that you do, you, you have, a, a, you know, another charity, but Riding the Rainbow. Well, Riding the Rainbow starts really uh, as a spontaneous gesture with the war in Ukraine, pushing millions of children and mothers and, and fathers to um, across Europe. We as a family, we started thinking about what can we do, right? And and actually, we initially wanted to actually host Ukrainians, like many people did here in Luxembourg. They wanted to do something, but the space was not really there. And so we asked with our kids, we said, you know, what can we do, right? Um, and uh, so we decided to give away uh, my kids' old outgrown bikes. They were uh, sitting idle in the garage uh, for a sort of emergencies. And when the other friends come over and we said, you know, like the, the bike was the first thing that actually connected my kids to Luxembourg when, when, we, when we moved here a few years ago. And then um, we decided... Why, to why so? Why the bicycle? Well, bicycle gives that sense of freedom, right? You, you jump on it, you, you, you breeze on your face uh, and, and it allows you to be you know, to, to, to be mobile. Actually, we used to, my, my kids was raised in Africa where I spent significant time um, working. And then uh, they were not really free to move around because of security concerns. They were always moving with the car. So for them, coming to Luxembourg and having a bike was the big thing, right? For them to finally feel free to move around. So we decided, why don't we give away the bikes and then uh, something special happened. So we just made a little post on Facebook and this family came. 
And the joy in the eyes of this kid walking out of my garage with a bike struck us so much that we decided to first host our garage for, um, as a place for uh, collecting and distributing bikes for refugees. 300 bikes later, five garages open up across the countries with the same idea. I realized something very special was happening in the garage. You can imagine, you can picture yourself, people were coming really to dump the bikes because we're so used to dump these days, right? We dump to the Red Cross, we dump to the recycling center, we're ready to dump our stuff, right? They were coming into the garage and they were actually meeting people oftentimes by chance. And the meeting of the people were pushing them to do extraordinary things, which oftentimes are very ordinary, like giving advice. And for someone who come to Luxembourg or any countries escaping and having nothing behind, having left everything behind and having someone local can help you in your integration journey, whether it's about placing your kids into a football club or, you know, helping you out, giving you advice on how to find a job. Those connections we're creating in the garage. And so I had this idea, if, they, if, if I able to create a tool that allows everyone in the planet to have the same emotional experience I had with my kids and those people were having in the garage, I'm changing the world. So, um, <laughs> and then lucky enough, I had COVID, which is I was a busy professional, was working full time and this charity on the side. And I was like already very busy and I had the time to actually conceptualize and think. So I put together, closing my room, a proposal to create an app. Well, not everybody who had COVID <laughs> did this kind of thing. <laughs> As you're telling your story, I mean, I'm looking at Dominique because it is, again, you know, just echoing everything that they've spoken about for the last 35 minutes, which is developing these connections between people and how important it is the world over. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that was what really make me click that we had a, a lifetime opportunity to develop something unique. But let's go back to your you, you with your COVID experience. Yeah. <laughs> you so I was locked in app. a room and I had the you know, family just being afraid of getting contaminated and, and leaving me the food and, and, and <laughs> outside I the door. time to actually really, really think about th think through. I was I was actually sick. I mean, it was like, it was as a serious. And I, Which is why I'm surprised you managed yeah, to come up with but, all of this uh, at the same time. But it was my time. only slot to be able to really develop that. And then I, I put together a proposal and I shipped it to a couple of foundations, the Andre Loche Foundation and OVRE. And surprisingly, they actually bet into it. And they said, as crazy as it may seem, they decided to actually support it. I don't think it's crazy. I think, I mean, you had proof of concept. It, it's an extremely valuable, yeah. important piece of work. Yes, but it was, you know, really innovative. There was a lot of apps before. There was a lot of challenges uh, that these, this, these people who actually pushed the proposal within um, had to overcome because there was a lot of apps that didn't work. Now, the good thing is that we had already tested the need. We, we saw the need. We saw the opportunity. And then and that's what actually made that conviction, convincing point. So we received the resources. And I must say, I dropped everything. Uh, I dropped everything else. And I decided to devote my entire life to this and to charity that has been, was a bit of, uh, you know, sitting idle, um, which, you know, was struggling to do these things part time and decided to devote entirely to um, to the charity work. You gave up your day job. I gave up everything. <laughs> I did and, not know and, that. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm the happiest man on the planet. <laughs> I must say I also do consulting on the side that pays the bills. <laughs> that, that is that is, can, can be helpful. I have a very supportive uh, wife that also uh, helps pay the bill. <laughs> so, so, but I was in a privileged position and I thought this is my life opportunity to build something unique. And I work during the summer, I work uh, tightly with uh, actually Ukrainian developers. I selected Ukrainian developers because I, I wanted to have 
people, I mean, not only they are top, top, top notch. Uh, we have a fantastic team in, in Lviv that are working tirelessly. They work under the most challenging circumstances, under bombings. We had blackout and uh, on major updates, and but they are working with the heart. And I was able to also engage with these resources that were coming from these uh, foundations. Well, they're also, also working for the, their compatriots here in Luxembourg. Absolutely. And I have also have able to also hire um, Ukrainian uh, project managers here. Um, These wonderful ladies that helped me also really penetrate the mentality, the needs of, of, of those refugees that were coming, um, which was not only for Ukrainians, but of course this app was supposed to be, and it is, it is actually affecting refugees from over 20, 20 nationalities. Uh, but it really made, allow me to make something which is, serves the different purposes um, and and that's probably how I met uh, <laughs> Lena. Yes, and Lena, I want you to tell us because you have children. Yeah, yeah. Um, you received some bicycles. First of all, yes, I'm Ukrainian who felt all, all Emmanuel told on uh, my personal experience. Unfortunately, I never thought that I will be connected with war. But when you lose everything and you come to a new place, it was extremely supportive and very important. First of all, to see real people who want to help you, your children. And you immediately feel that you are not alone in this world. You are not like <laughs> left. And the second very important stuff about bicycles that we got a roots because children did it in Ukraine before but of course when you quit the country you cannot take bicycle with you so this small stuff they were so much important I remember when I came to the garage of Emmanuel to take uh, to bicycles and I was shocked that people spend their time they want to give so so some warmness, so so such a big support. And when uh, I saw how my children were happy, I just said very thank you for this because um, they got some something to do, some sport which helps them to release, to throw away this stress, uh, this aggression because of the everything that happens. For me, it shifted a little bit their attention to a sport and I was uh, ready to help like a volunteer to other people. And I think that this project is something amazing because really when you contact with these people, it's not only about passing the thing. It's about care about you. It's about friendship, about communication. And this is priceless, really. And so, I think what you've explained, both of you have explained, in fact, yeah. all four of you have explained today, is that nothing surpasses the human connection. Yeah. Even with Dominique's uh, yeah. transmedia project, there is a human connection there at the heart of it. Yeah. And with you, the difference with this charity is the meeting together and the other conversations that can flourish from that. Yeah. And we have so many stories of people that have been affected by the meeting with the refugees. And, and, and I'll share an anecdote of my own son at the age of 14, one day just comes back home after school. And I said, Daddy, I bumped into some Syrian refugees. They were carrying heavy luggages and uh, I helped them take, I took them to the, they were lost and I, I, I took them to the refugee camp. So then you, then you ask, wait, you know, how many 14-year kids in Europe would, first of all, be able to identify refugee? Second, be able to see, know where the refugee camp is. They're everywhere in Europe around these days, but, you know, we don't know where they are. And third, have the empathy and compassion to actually give them help. And it's not because of my son. Of course, I love him. And, you know, but well, I think it is very specific to your family. But, well, you certainly, <laughs> but, but he, had, he had used the app. He's the user of the app. 
is a heavy user of the app. He goes around the house and say, hey, I, I got these things because now it's not only bikes. Now we actually move to toys, books, um, strollers, and, and, and other kind of things. You can see the list. If you download the app, you can see there's a long list. It's an expanding list of items because the demands are, uh, are growing. And everybody should download the app called? Riding the Rainbow. You go yeah. just simple. You go on website, www.ridingtherainbow.com, and you can just, with a click, you can have it on your phone. And so, so but it is because he had that be able to penetrate the grief of these people. He himself has brought his own stuff to the refugee camp. So that's that's where the connection came when he saw these guys having every, every luggages near the refugee camp. He said, you know, I can help you. And those connections, um, they can last longer, right? I mean, of course, in, in, in terms of his mentality, his openness, now he understands it. And he's like, but I can also tell you another anecdote that, that it still gives me shivers. There was this kid that actually came for um, some fun cleats because when we started putting shoes, football shoes, there was a lot of demand, a lot of people. My other son, uh, 17, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a football fanatics. He wouldn't give away his, foot, his old uh, football <laughs> gears, you know, for no reason. But when he saw this, that this was dynamic, he said, okay, well, let me give away my, yeah, I'm not using it anymore. But it was like almost brand new. Like, like you know, these kids, those kids, they, every six months, they you have to buy a new, new pair of shoes. So they have these cleats. And then this Ukrainian guy came. Um, and then, of course, the first question was like, do you want to join a football club? And of course, next week, this kid was playing with my son in, my, in his own football team. What a joy was for me and for him to see this pair of cleats having a new life and be a bridge for integration. Mm -hmm. and, and what a joy was for this child to be able to find, it was also a passionate kid. It was, he actually used to play for uh, Shakhtar Donetsk, one of the leading, actually everyone loved this kid because like, he was such a phenomenon on the pitch. And so the coach was extremely happy. He was like, yeah, yeah. bring us more, you know, bring us more Ukrainians. <laughs> and your son was probably proud because he was wearing his trainers. Exactly. Yeah. So so you are able to create those connections and that's, that's priceless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And in fact, just coming to the studio, Lena, you were saying to me that given your knowledge of child psychology and child development, having that connection and being able to sport particularly is just so valuable for their mental health. Yeah, because for me, um, I'm an author of the also mobile application and the manual inspired me to open my mobile application, but my one is a little bit uh, different. It's about uh, child development from zero to six. It's oh, about what's brain the name of this application? Genius Kid. Oh, <laughs> so, we yeah, need to download this too. Then. <laughs> it will be soon in English version. But uh, yes, I was on the same page with this application because I knew how important important is for children to develop physically and from the childhood you need to do it uh, in a big amount of time and of course um, when children do not get physical development they feel worse they just cannot develop their brain because all is connected so this was very good idea from also professional point of view for me that this project riding the rainbow it distributes the stuff it, it can also be a football uh, uh, balls and uh, uh, some strollers and bicycles and scooters, everything everything that you want to share with other people. So it was really cool idea because it helps Ukrainian children and other refugees' children to have 
training stuff and make trainings and uh, not to be too much stressed, uh, to be uh, clever and so on. And for me also was important stuff about connections of people because look, when I do something for the, some people, I want to see that it to whom it gets, who, who took it, maybe I can help in some other stuff. And it's not only like you give bicycle and you forgot, it's about friendship, support, about feedback of those people who are really grateful for you. And when you get this feedback, you have energy to do even more. So I really believe in an er uh, positive energy in our lives. And when you share, you get back even more. So it was very important. And Yes, of course, it's uh, important from the point of view of development of uh, children, and it's really cool. <laughs> it really is. And, and, and uh, indeed, actually, one of the things that came up as a lesson from this is that, uh, as Elena said, this kind of actions inspire a willingness to do more. Mm -hmm. So we felt the need to expand the app. Uh, and, and now, for instance, the app is, is becoming more and more of a gateway of solidarity. And, and so those, those app users now that receive notifications on cool events going on, we are developing new functionalities. Which hopefully, we're going to be able to find resources and funding for it from you know, corporations and, and, and foundations. We actually call it fundraising, but people can actually donate on the same website. You can actually click and even 25 euros will be will be good for us to, uh, you know, put another um, stone on this on, the, this, on the, this building that we want to establish, which is really about, you know, creating a gateway where people that want to do more, that had that emotional momentum that it says, oh, I want to do something, can find even volunteering opportunities and, and so on and so forth. Um, so we saw there's a huge potential to beyond also the refugees as, as a population. There's a lot of people that need help, right? And mm -hmm. so we want to be able to help as many people as possible and making it really a gateway for, for solidarity. One other project that we have in our drawers that we would love to launch is, is actually to create the first solidarity chat. And, and really develop the, the first, first child solidarity, oh, no, solidarity chat. Solidarity chat. You know, imagine you land into a country. And you are in need, and you just have a chatbot that responds in your own language, 24 hours 7, that tells you where to find shelter, where you find food, where you find, you know, Luxembourg has so much of a huge wealth of things Languages. of offering. But by the time, by the time you find out where you can find food, shelter, education, and whatever, you're kind of you already spent like two years, right? And then you have missed a lot of opportunities. So what we want to do is really leverage technology to be able to give in your pocket, opportunities of volunteering, but you know, from the resident side, opportunity of how you can make a difference, but also on the other side, you know, how you can get help. And and technology is 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 is, is there, right? I and think you and Dominique really need to sit down and have a chat together. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because you're just bursting with ideas from a from a human point of view, both of you, but also a technology point of view, to bring both together to just absolutely surpass what's being done. And everybody feels better when they volunteer. Absolutely, absolutely. I and mean, we feel it all the time, the kind of feedback we were getting. I kind of miss, I must say, I kind of miss the garage because we, <laughs> I used to have the monopoly of that, of that joy, right? Because everyone was dumping their bikes to my, to my place and then I was seeing those. You can actually go on the website, www.ridingtherainbow.com and you can see these videos of the joy of these kids. I mean, it still brings me shivers every time I, I watch those videos. So I had the, the thing and 
But what is a joy every time I get the notification? Hey, something else has been donated in these things. Now, one thing that is, is very cool is that we are actually sporting rendering. Well, this little Luxembourg experience born like less than a kilometer away from these studios are now being used in other countries. 12 countries are using Riding the Rainbow. We are now starting in Ukraine. It's in Italy. We're going in France, and in, 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 uh, in, in, you know, hopefully, in you know, like, why Brazil. not? Yeah. Brazil. And so we have developed something really, really unique. Um, and but this is this could not have been done without the help of all the volunteers, like Kulena, that eventually she was co-opted as a volunteer. She's now paying back quite even more but with all their time. She comes on, uh, you know, oftentimes on this this kind of events or to other events, outreach events. Uh, but all the volunteers, we're creating a great team of people that actually come and help us in many ways. And, and the charity that I've, I'm managing, actually, um, even if... It was a different focus, right? I mean, a charity called Afrilanthropy typically has a different kind of focus. Everyone, in have all the other volunteers actually embarked this and says, wow, that's a contribution that we have to make. And then one other dream is to actually expand Riding the Rainbow in Africa. Well, I, I did wonder if there was a link there because that was your initial charity work. Exactly, exactly. And given that you lived there, I think there's a connection there. Well, all I need to do with you is press go and, uh, and you, you, you can no, fill an hour. Really, really important, I would say it from the point of view of a refugee, because I never didn't think that I can leave my country. At five o'clock, we woke up and like we put uh, some just something on and run away. And when you come here, you need to get some roots, you know, like to get something that you did before. And of course, when you come to the new place, you start your life from zero. You're starting to, to look for plates, cups and everything. So idea with chat, when you can say where you can take this or where you can find this, it can save a lot of time, a lot of energy, and it can help to those people who are already lost. Mm -hmm. Because when you grab your children and run somewhere, you even do not know where you will land and what will happen. The people like uh, Emmanuel and other people like uh, who met us here are very important. That's why I also became the volunteer, because when I came here, I uh, got connections with all these amazing people. I understand how it works and I start to, to help to other people and I started to help to Ukrainian people also and I, I like the project which they did. It's like a transfer of 70 bicycles to Ukraine Wow. So it was also cool because, yes, here we are in, in a lost condition, but in Ukraine situation is completely terrible. So it's always good that we can transmit something there. And that's why I'm also the volunteer in the uh, uh, Ukraine organization. Maybe, you know, they do a lot of uh, things for Ukrainians and here and there. And I think we need to make all the cooperations uh, to make this world a little bit better place. At least everybody can do a small input. It may be be bicycle it may be small donation like a coffee or like help or just joining some places and it will be much better <laughs> thank you all to my wonderful guest today for all of the good and positive work you do for this world it's been a real pleasure and i know that we'll be downloading some apps and looking at various websites <laughs> and stories from around the world it's been a joy to have you all thank you so thank much you for having us thank, thank you. you thanks, thanks.